Hello, everyone, and welcome into another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two amazing playwrights today. We have Ricardo Melendez and Paul Cruz, both of who have shows in the upcoming Fresh Fruit Festival. Ricardo's show, Angel on Eros, is playing April 28th, 29th, and 30th. And Paul's show, Eel Pout, is playing April 25th, 29th, and 30th. Both are at the Wild Project, and you can get tickets and more information about both by visiting freshfruitfestival.com. So with that, Ricardo, Paul, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. I'm so happy you made it today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Andrew. I, I We've been talking off the air a little bit, and I'm just so excited to have more of these shows from the Fresh Fruit Festival. I'm really excited to hear about your two shows. So why don't we just jump right into this? Ricardo, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your show, Angel on Eros? Yeah, Angel on Eros is, I'll call it a provocative show. But no, it's about two men of different sexual orientations who develop a beautiful friendship. And as happens sometimes in our lives, the communication gets a little bit skewed. Uh, they end up uh, sharing intimate moments, sexually intimate moments, and then have to deal with whatever happens afterwards. I like that. And then we switch over to Paul. Paul, you got the show Eel Pout. What is that about? I hope I'm saying that right. No, you're saying it right. It is a kind of fish that exists all over the world. But the show is, I'm calling it a Fantasia on Midwestern masculinity. And it is a surreal, fast-paced farce about a group of friends, two friends in particular, so similar Ricardo, who are having a morning bachelor party uh, while they're ice fishing. And everything goes terribly wrong. And things take a left turn when uh, one of them catches a talking fish. There's a dream ballet in it that represents a fish orgy. And I hope, yeah, I hope it's a lot of fun. Well, we have two wonderful shows. So let's continue to dive down this hole. Ricardo, where did you come up with the idea for Angel on Eros? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's weird. Yeah, I, almost a year ago, I was in a very weird moment in my life, especially after COVID, just trying to assess or reassess who I was as an artist and how how much have I lost or not lost by being pushed one direction or another by other people who has my best interest, but don't necessarily guide me towards where I wanted to go. So I wanted to write about this kind of moment. And then I I went to a party with some friends that we were finally able to get together after COVID. And there was so much conversation about their relationships and how they have work or not work. And it pushed in this idea of there's a, a transaction in human interaction. And so going with those two things, I still wanted to keep it fun. I wanted, I still wanted to keep it very gay. And of course, all the conversations that I had with my great friends at the gym, for example, so then they all get weaved in. We are at times poetic and at times terrible. 
um, <laughs> about <laughs> what we're saying. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's it was fun, and I I did the first draft, and I showed it, I shared it with friends, and the polarity of reactions as to how people wanted the play to finish was so enormous that I said, you know what, I think this is what I need to write. So then went on. I love that. And Paul, where did you get the idea for this show, Eel Pal? The, so the title is the name of a kind of fish that swims on the bottom of lakes in Minnesota and all over the world. They have different names all over the world. And it is one of the weirdest looking, ugliest fishes that you've ever seen. I've never caught one. I've done my fair share of fishing, fair share of ice fishing. But my mom used to tell this story that she was fishing on Mille Lacs, which is a big lake in Minnesota once, and caught an eel pout and didn't know what it was <laughs> and asked her grandma, and she said, oh, it's an eel pal. I'll throw it back. But apparently they're like a delicious fish. They, they're they called poor man's lobster um, in, in some context. So I've been always fascinated by how strange nature can be and how strange humans and human sexuality can be. And so I wrote the first draft of Eel Pout a couple of years ago. I was also inspired by this TV show, this Canadian TV show called Letterkenny. Do you watch Letterkenny? It's such oh a good show. Oh my God, it's so funny. And it, it's just poetic. Like the language is fast and, and it also explores masculinity. And so I was curious to write a play that drew a lot of inspiration from the style of Letterkenny, but was, was queer. And another thing I'm really interested in right now, so I have lived in Pittsburgh. I have uh, deep roots there. I grew up in Western Wisconsin. I spent some time in Texas right before the pandemic, but I'm now living in Minneapolis again. So I'm kind of back home in the part of the country that made me. And I am spending a lot of time with the men I, I grew up with. And I've been thinking a lot about masculinity. I've been thinking a lot about queerness and uh, a, a kind of recurring theme, I think, in my life and in the lives of a lot of the people who I love is this tension between queerness as strangeness and difference and LGBTQ identities. And that I find myself often in rooms with a lot of usually white gay men. And it feels sometimes like there's a political stagnation that happens that it's as if the, yeah, a commitment to difference, a commitment to imagining the world in different ways is no longer central to, to that identity in some context. Anyway, so of course I wanted to write a farce about, about that. And what better way to do that than at a bachelor party where ice fishing is happening. And then the other thing that I just am a little obsessed with are dream ballets from old musicals. And so I really wanted to write something with a dream ballet in it. And yeah, that's what Eel Pout is. Agnes DeMille would be very proud of you. Uh, <laughs> I now want to ask you both, what has it been like developing your shows? And I'm, I'm going to stick with you, Paul, first on this. So I wrote it uh, pre-pandemic and it's been really fun. Maybe fun is the wrong word. It's been complicated and interesting and also fun to come back to live theater. I mean, Ricardo, you talked a little bit about kind of this identity forming moment. I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, mm -hmm. but I feel similar. I feel like the pandemic was for especially theater artists, but I think everyone like transformative moment. And so it is, it feels so good to be in a rehearsal room again. I, I haven't really been in a rehearsal room like this in, in a long time. And the other wacky thing that's happening is the play is directed by this brilliant artist, my friend, Rachel Walter. I met Rachel as an undergrad 
And we've kept in touch over the years, but she is a film director. And about a year ago, we met up for a drink. I was here in New York where she lives. And she was like, I really want to try directing a play. And so I sent her eel pout and yeah, and she, she enjoyed it. And now we are working together. This is the first play she's directed. It's my first time working with her. And it's really, I think it's really interesting to bring that filmic sensibility to eel pout. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has a movie called uh, Snowy Bing Bongs. It's a longer title and I always get it wrong when I say it, but the first part Snowy Bing Bongs. And it, it features a lot of very like beautiful, heartfelt, silly dance. And so that's a big part of this project as well. So it makes a lot of sense that she's that she's working on it. <laughs> Ricardo, what about you? What has it been like developing it and getting it on its feet? You know, it's, uh, it, it's been a very interesting. I'm, I'm an actor as well. So uh, a few years ago, you know, I decided, you know, I'm going to start writing for myself. No, I, if, it just gets crazy. So the first draft, have someone like me. As I keep sharing it with other playwrights or people that I really trust, they keep adding things. And suddenly the story had separated from a lot of my personal baggage or experience that I was bringing to the script and created this other character that I would not call it on, on, of my brand, but equally interesting. And putting it on his feet, my friend Steve Earl is directing it. He also he's directed a couple of uh, other shows of mine, and he's very laid back. And uh, actors feel really open when they're there. Uh, so we're usually laughing for longer than we are rehearsing, because the show it is it is funny. It is very it, it moves fast. It's just that those moments in which there is intimacy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then the it, it takes a slightly different color, but the, the process has been one of eye-opening of jurors just going, um, maybe if we say it this way, or maybe this reference goes someplace else. No, because there's, there's reference from Marvel and fast food and McDonald's and how gay was Colonel Sanders. <laughs> So again, it's uh, uh, it's it's been it's been a fun process that that I brought a lightness that to me is part of of the queer equipment for survival, and at the same time brings us in into intimate times. A uh, good friend, uh, Brian Merriman in Ireland, uh, the show is going to Ireland after New York. He said to me, "It's like finally a play where the straight guy gets it." And <laughs> It's just like wow, <laughs> but it's been it's been fun discovering really what was behind it. You know, part of my process is just string of consciousness, and then staying looking back at it and going, oh, that's where I am. Uh, it, it's it's a nice discovery always. I love that 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 these two shows just they they bring this this element of humor, these different elements of humor to the table. So I want to ask. What is the message or thought you're hoping your audiences will take away from the show? And Ricardo, if I can stick with you first on that. Oh, okay. Message. I don't know. Isn't that terrible? No. What I really would love, yeah, there's, there's, which is part of what I like about how the show developed. It's not taking one side nor the other. 
if I want anything to happen is that people go out of the theater and are able to share thoughts about what just happened. No, like I was mentioning about the first read, it, it, the reaction was so, so polarized. Oh, I wanted him to do this. Oh, I wish they had finished this way. Oh, I wish, I'm like, people, this is just one simple story. And I tried not to romanticize it whatsoever, if anything, trying to go the other way. I'm like, this is not a Hallmark movie. This is a theater play <laughs> about two men who become friends and share experiences. And then they have to deal with life. You know, it's like that, yeah, that the, I guess that, that the friendship is possible. Not that we don't know that between people of, of different sexual orientations that in a way that men are men are men and we are going to locker talk no matter whether you're straight, gay, bi. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a communication between men that eventually goes into sex, prowess, dicks, um, or how annoying my wife is or how cute your wife is. It's, it's strange. And, and, you know, uh, I, and I like that idea of bringing that locker talk. You know, uh, as a gay man, sometimes I would go into the gym and I'll be the shy person. And suddenly allowing people to talk about things and you yourself offering forward. And then you get this 69, 70-year-old naked man trying to shave his head next to you, asking you, it's like, do I have hair back here? And you help him shave in all the truths are out. And so the way of sharing becomes so honest. I, I like that. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Paul, what about you? What is the message or thought you're hoping audiences will take away from Ilpal? Mm. No, I'm, I'm thinking about what Ricardo said too, about because I think both our plays are exploring masculinity in different ways and manness, which is right. Like, what I hope people take away primarily from Ilpout is is pleasure. I hope pleasure and delight. I hope it's like a fun experience. I hope that folks leave with smiles on their faces. And yeah, and plays, right, plays aren't essays. So I don't know, like, I, I, I think that there are ideas I hope that folks walk away with and the ideas that I'm grappling with, uh, like the queerness and strangeness of nature, like often, and I'm totally doing this thing where we put our idea, our human ideas onto animals, onto, onto nature. But nature's like super queer. And and I hope people like can can think about that. I hope that it's an opportunity to reflect on the violence of binaries, both like gender binaries, but also sexual binaries. I think like often when we when we encounter people, I we, I shouldn't say that. I think I, I think often people want to make assumptions about the sex lives of others. And I think what is true is that even inside of straightness, even inside of masculinity, there is an incredible breadth of sexual expression and identity. And I think that's just true across across the board. And so I guess what I'm saying is I hope people walk away understanding that everyone is a little bit queer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I absolutely love that. My and last I question for this first part is, who do you hope have access to your show? And Ricardo, why don't I start again with you on that? Well, obviously everyone, but I think obviously representation is important to me. 
I I am my idea is to offer a story in where the LGBTQ plus community feels represented, where it's not victimized, it's not the perpetrator, it's just another part of a bigger community where the differences are not on the idea of sexual orientation, but about how do we behave towards one another. So yeah, young audiences, as, as well as people my age and older, well, so far they have, we, we did a show uh, in, in Virginia for two weekends and a lot of people from a lot of different communities came in and the results were always favorable on that idea that they wanted to talk about it afterwards. Uh, actually, a patriot asked me, I, I, are you going to do one performance with a question and answer afterwards? And I'm like, uh, we could try. I don't know if my producer will allow me <laughs> or the theater will allow me. So, yeah, I, I, and that's why I say, yeah, it's a general. I, I want everybody to enjoy it. It's, it's all, all we do is share our, our work and hope that it promotes some kind of talk. It doesn't need to be a serious talk. It just needs to be a talk. How do you feel about that? Or how do you feel about this section where the straight person is calling the other person by the by the faggot word? How do you feel about this this ideas of it's okay if you can hide it, but if you cannot hide it, then we have to kill it. it again, there, there are questions that are out there. We try to make light of it and just present it as, well, it's part of life. And the play repeats these ideas of we pay to play and play to win. And that's true across the border. But mostly I have dedicated this part of my playwright life to represent the, the LGBT community in theater as part of the general community as opposed to exclude it in order to present a story about it. I love that. Paul, who do you hope have access to your show? I mean, I resonate with what you said. I mean, everyone. I would love for everyone to see this. Really, okay, really specifically, my mom and dad are coming. My parents are coming. And this is by far the strangest thing that I have ever created and I am so curious for them as Midwesterners for them as parents of me to see this thing <laughs> and then I really want to do this in Minneapolis I want to bring it back to where I live now and see what it's like to watch it with people who are from the part of the world that this play is about because I think that there's something about being seen by others right and that is powerful and important and then there's something about being seen by your own community and being seen by people who are like you that has a has a unique kind of power, I feel like. And I, of course, can only talk from within my own identities, but yeah, I'd be really curious selfishly for that experience. But yeah.
Well, for the second part of this interview, I want to switch things up and let our listeners get a chance to pick your brain a little bit more, get to know you. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what shows, composers, playwrights inspire you or some of your favorites? And Paul, I'm going to I'm going to start with you over there. Yeah, I'm such a bad theater person because I, I see much less theater than I watch television. I watch so much television. <laughs> and so I already mentioned Letterkenny. I'm obsessed with Letterkenny. Anything Phoebe Waller-Bridge does, of course. In terms of playwrights, I also am like really inspired by my peers. I have a really good friend and collaborator, a longtime collaborator, Adil Mansour, who is just about to begin touring his one-person show called Amigan, which is about his mother. And his mother is not someone who he is out to. Adil's been in a relationship with his partner, Luke, for now like 15 years, I think. And his mom, because of her faith, is Muslim. Yeah, can't hear that. And so it's a play about his journey to do that. And one of the ways he finds to connect with his mother is to direct some scenes from Antigone with her. And it's, it is a beautiful, heartbreaking play. And I'm, yeah, so excited it's going to be in the world. Yeah. Pardo, what, what inspired you? Uh, let's see. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I teach for a school for the arts. Yeah. So, so my students are, even though they're high schoolers, they're with me for four hours every day because they want to. So I say, I'm not a high school teacher because my students want to learn so that but um <laughs> a few years ago actually right through the pandemic we started a play reading zoom group and it started from them then eventually they invited me then eventually we started inviting alumni and so it's just now it's a it's a drinking party in which we read plays so i've been forced and enchanted about reading a, a lot of new plays, especially the ones that they, they like. Some of them, I just go, uh, guys, uh, some of you are my students. Maybe I should not be reading this play with you. <laughs> but but like, you know, because new playwrights like Annie Baker and Amy Sergov, I, 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 I love this intimacy that it's, even, even though it's still realistic theater, there is this, uh, what is it, a curiosity for what's happening between the generations and what is the what is the language of the day? Obviously, I love the jockey. He's crazy. He does crazy stuff. Like that play I said, uh, Octopus. Octopus, there's like a mo a one moment the door opens and you come out rolling with water. And it's because it's, it, it's supposed to happen it's a parallel of AIDS uh, as being under the ocean, about to be eaten by an octopus. Crazy, again, crazy. You know, this idea that somebody else go, who thinks like that? Obviously, uh, stuff that I've seen that I really like, um, uh, Matthew Lopez, uh, The Inheritance, I thought it was important for us as representation, as historical. And there's this playwright, his name is Norman Allen, I really like his historical ideas in the context that he put it. I was lucky enough to work with him doing a, call, a play called Nijinsky's Last Dance that he opened the show at the Kennedy Center with somebody else. And then I took it over. And I guess I traveled like eight years with that show. <laughs> Until I got too old to be Nijinsky. But, 
but his his work he has a bunch of other plays like in the garden that combine historical ideas with different points of view he's also a minister so he brings religious ideas remember good catholic boy from puerto rico so you know all those ideas come out no matter what people say do you know what is your right arm and you go yeah the one i crossed mm-hmm. myself with <laughs> lately it's like obviously matthew lovers i love his work but like emmy uh, annie baker emmy sergov brandon jacob jenkins crazy dude love his stuff love that list great great inspirations <laughs> well have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners i actually did i just saw a one person show in minneapolis called feast by Megan Gogarty, who uh, teaches at the Iowa Playwrights Workshop. And it is about a, I want to say, I mean, it flew by. It felt like it was less than an hour, but I think it was 90 minutes. And the company producing it's called, oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's Shadow. Oh, I'm not even going to try. I should look it up. But this play is a monologue from the point of view of Grendel's mother. And it is a beautiful retelling of Beowulf. And Beowulf, of course, is like this ultra-patriarchal, evil, environment-destroying character, according to Grendel's mother. And it morphs into this diatribe against billionaires. And there's this moment at the end where she like says, there's less than 2,000 billionaires in the world. We could kill them. And like people <laughs> laugh. And then she's like, well, we could. Let's it 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 was, it was just yeah. I and I'm I wish I I should just look it up, but the actress who performed this was just so virtuosic. It was really cool. It was in the back of a bar that is a mead hall, also, so it was like very appropriately set, which I love. Wow. That's the most recent really exciting thing that I saw. And then they left and chanted, eat the rich. Um <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be partial <laughs> because I saw, I, I want to say it was like three weeks ago, and then went and looked for the script, uh, New Playwrights Exchange, and because I wanted to read it. Uh, is this play called To Whom It May Concern? And it is, it is kind of like a breakfast club story written like now. So like the students are all in detention for stupid stuff like or things that uh, I don't I know they don't understand uh, where the rule comes from no where there is a, a dress code but other ideas were like oh I I walked out of class because teacher said that Floyd had something to do with his own death because if you can say your you can breathe you're breathing. And I was like, my my mouth just dropped. I'm like, you somebody said that to you? And then I found out that it was written by interview. You no, know, they have made interviews with students in regular uh, public high schools, and these were their stories. And I was just like, Jesus Christ! And obviously, it goes into the woke generation, into why are books being canceled or changed and they take it all the way to i don't know if you read entangle makes three which is like the most banned book now and it's about two male penguins that hatch an egg yeah 
you know, the book got canceled. I mean, and you look at you look at the book, and it is it is a children's book. It just has drawings on it, but they say there are homosexual tendencies in the book because the two penguins are are male. <laughs> no, it like, and it was very funny because, of course, I'm I'm that curious cat, and I'm like, I started looking it up. And then I found out that in Circus New York, in a zoo at Circus New York, two male penguins actually hatched the book. I mean, hatched an egg. So I'm like, oh, so the book is true and it's being banned? Wow. And again, it's like, it's one of those things that it was so unexpected. It's like, oh, okay, it's going to be a, a play about young people and the their cancel culture. And I was so impressed with it. Uh, I, I think, it's, yeah, it's called To Whom It May Concern. Because uh, at the end of it, they, oh, because they put them on a, the, the parents and teachers association's room, and that's where they hide the band books. So they find all these band books by, well, anything from Hardy Boys to The Gods Were Watching, or even, uh, which I didn't know, that um, uh, Anne Frank is a band book in some schools. I didn't know these things. I was like, oh, wow. So at the end of the of the play, the kids write a letter to the Parents and Theater Association <laughs> just telling them, hey, we understand that some of the stuff that you deem appropriate is not appropriate to our generation and vice versa. Because, of course, there's all that idea of, well, the teacher didn't want to call me by my preferred pronoun. So I spoke up in class and she tends to send me to detention. I mean, I was just like, oh, wow, yeah. Okay, those are things that are happening right now. There's a very cute, I think the play lasted like maybe 75 minutes or something like that. Very cute. Wow. Just, wow. Let me ask you too, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Ricardo, do you mind if I start with you on that? Sure. Fortunately enough that this is what I do whether it's teaching it or doing it or writing it, just the freedom to explore. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd for human behavior and just to just explore how things go together or do not, see it on people, take notes. I'm a nerd, sorry, I'm a nerd for theater. But, and I, I always end up finding something else about myself that I, that I wasn't aware of by examining, trying to examine other people's movements through this crazy thing we call life. It's it's fun. I just, I cannot imagine having a nine to five job or having a day in which I'm not around people that decide to just start singing or scream or like, no, I, I, I love people and I like watching and writing about them. <laughs> Agreed. Completely yeah. agree. Paul, what about you? What is your favorite part? I mean, definitely the money, right? It's all the money we get. <laughs> Don't you give our secrets away? Are you crazy? <laughs> no, I mean, there is something really wild about most theater that happens, right? And there, there is, uh, of course, exceptions to this. But the majority of theater that happens is completely dysfunctional in a capital context, capitalist context. It just doesn't work. And there's something kind of beautiful about that. I mean, it's it's also horrible and everyone should be paid well, but there is something about this art form that is vitally ephemeral and vitally local that resists, I think, capitalism in some really 
beautiful ways. And I think a lot about that. I also love the chance to hang out with weirdos. Like I feel like <laughs> that is what theater is and has been for me. And by weirdos, I mean people who are curious, people who are excited to behave strangely together and, you know, take pleasure in that. And yeah, yeah, I think those are the things that I really love about about theater. Can I say, I looked it up, Walking Shadow Theater Company is the name of the company that produced Beast and the actress was Isabel Nelson. I want to be sure I say those out loud. Yes, um, got to give that credit out there. Well, we have come to my favorite question and I'm so excited to hear both of your answers. And it's, oh. what is your favorite theater memory? Mm. Paul, I'm going to totally come at you first for this one. Oh my gosh. I got to see a show in Chicago by this company called Albany Park Theater Project. It is a theater that works in a neighborhood called Albany Park with young people who live there. They devise the shows that they do. The first show I got to see um, with them was called Homeland. But they did a show called Learning Curve, where it was a collaboration with a company here in New York, and I forget the name of the collaborating company, but they took over an abandoned Chicago public school and made an immersive movement-based piece similar to like if you are familiar with things like Sleep No More and Promenade Theater, like fully immersive. And it was beautiful and heartbreaking. There, uh, there was this piece, I wandered into a bathroom with some other audience members and there were these two actresses in there who would like write on the mirror and one of them wrote, what don't you like about yourself? And handed a marker to each of our audience members and we wrote things we didn't like about ourselves on this mirror. And then there was a dance piece that happened in and under the stalls. And then they erased all of the things we don't like about ourselves. <laughs> or no, didn't erase them. They drew hearts around them. Anyway, Learning Curve by Albany Park Theater Project remains, I think, one of the most impactful works of theater I'd seen. Uh, because at that time, there were a lot of Chicago public schools closing. And this was very much about that and the state of, of schools in that city. So yeah, that's my answer. Love that. Love that. Ricardo, what about you? What is your favorite theater memory? Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it changed my life. Moses Coffin Laramie Project. Mm. When I saw that show, I was in awe. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, this is what I want to do. And luckily for me, Moses was in the row in front of me because it was in the trials. Uh, and so he was with this guy taking notes and, you know, so I got to speak with him in Spanish. I was like, Moises knows me. <laughs> but seeing that show, like, really, really changed my idea of what theater can do. And that is such an important piece of theater, I think, for anyone to know. And the way, the way those, those, see, the, the way those actors went into those interviews to get this, because what you're seeing is just the product of the interview, which is in, in, in the order he wanted us to see it. But it, to me, it was just so impactful. And after that, I, uh, I've done, I've tried to do stuff like that for something called Arts for Life, which is a benefit for the LGBTQ doing uh, AIDS Day or the AIDS celebration, you know, so, because I was so, I was so inspired by, by his work. Thank you as well. That's another great memory. Both of you, thank you so much for sharing those memories. 
Are there any other projects or productions either of you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Well, they're not in the pipeline. They are in the computer. <laughs> you know, there's always ideas in our heads. <laughs> I'm excited. I feel like I get to, yeah, Ricardo, I didn't mean to cut you off if there was more. Mm. Similarly, nothing, nothing very specific. I feel very lucky that I just found out I'm going to be a Jerome fellow for the next two years in Minneapolis. So I get to have just a lot of time to write and I'm excited to do that. Um, and a couple of years ago, I was lucky to be an audible emerging playwright and wrote a play called Daddies. And so this is not upcoming, but you can listen to Daddies on Audible. Please do. <laughs> it is very uncomfortable meditation on the pandemic. I say uncomfortable because I listen to it now and feel like I don't want to relive those days. <laughs> but the performers that we were able to work with, it was actually directed by Adil Mansour, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um... For me, I just, uh, they're cooking. Um, I have tackled the, the topic before, but it's just this idea of that people that are opposed to LGBTQ ideas or uh, fervently being against it, uh, suddenly, again, the same story, they get found out that they themselves are experiencing or have, ex have had homosexual experiences. And it just drives me crazy that there's that, trying to figure out, somebody help me, an adaptation of Measure for Measure, contemporary, but with those same ideas, you know, that the most pious are just trying to really victimize those people that they say should not. Uh, it's, it, to me, just drives me crazy. So that one, I, it, you know, that's, that's the one that it's on the computer. <laughs> Haven't shared it with my friends yet, so sorry. <laughs> My final question for you both is if our listeners want more information about Angel on Eros or Eel Pout, even about the two of you, maybe they want to reach out to you. How can they do so? Well, obviously going to uh, Fresh, freshfruitfestival.com because all our information is like if you get into the shows, it has a lot of information about us and uh, et cetera, et cetera, at least whatever you want to put. If not, they can they can look me up at Actors Workshop of Virginia, um, which is a company I co-founded, or on TR Dance Center, because that is my company. You know, I'm also a dancer, or I was. I'm too old now. And Paul? Probably the best spot. So certainly Fresh Fruit. Yeah, to look both of us up. Please come at the end of the month. I'm excited to, to be able to share that. And then, uh, yeah, on my website, which is my name. It's Paul W. Cruz. P-A-U-L-W-K-R-U-S-E dot com. Wonderful. Well, Ricardo, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share your amazing stories and experiences with our listeners. This has been a blast. This has been so much fun. And I really look forward to hopefully seeing your shows and just seeing what else you all create. So thank you so much for joining us. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My guests today have been the playwrights Ricardo Melendez and Paul Cruz, whose shows Angel on Eros and Eel Pout are part of the Fresh Fruit Festival. Angel on Eros is playing April 28th, 29th, and 30th, and Eel Pout is playing April 25th, 29th, and 30th, both shows at the Wild Project, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting freshfruitfestival.com.
We also have some contact information for our guests that we'll be posting in our episode description as well as on our social media. But make sure you check out the Fresh Fruit Festival, especially these two great shows, Angels on Eros and Eel Pout. They're both fabulous shows. You'll have a great time. And say hi to Ricardo and Paul when you're there. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.